We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is the Sacramento Bees' Chris Biederman. And we've got Matt Mayoko on the pod today. Nice booking, Chris. You did a yeah, good NBC, I, I'm sorry, NBC Sports Bay Area is Matt Mayoko. 49ers beat writing legend, Matt Mayoko. Yeah, I was finally able to get in contact with his publicist who had a meeting with his agent, who had a meeting with his manager. And he's you know, really difficult. He's just really, yeah, he's one of those people that it's, um, you, there's like this whole firewall around him. He's one of those celebrities where, um, it's just really difficult to get a hold of them and you gotta like you gotta make sure you get him at the right time you gotta make sure he's you know had lunch and he's hydrated and you know if you ever book like if you ever like book any artists and like they they have certain things that they need in the green room like that's that's very much how mayoko is so it was it was a ton of really hard work to to get him on the podcast today off off camera we had to call him matthew it was weird. And yeah. No yeah. He's really particular about that. <laughs> only only to be addressed in a certain way. So <laughs> uh, we're, <laughs> we're sponsored by Cooperage. Uh, visit the brewery in Santa Rosa, Cooperage Brewing, or you can order your beer in California. If you're 21 and up, order your beer at cooperagebrewing.com. They will overnight it to you. You will have a case of beer on your doorstep overnight. Really, really cool. Uh, actually, not technically overnight. I guess it's like next day. It's not like if you order it in the afternoon, it, you're going to wake up to one in the morning. It's just next day shipping to anywhere in California. So order some very good beer. Whether you want Candlestick Chronicles, there's another run of that. So if you want the Hazy IPA named after our podcast, you can get that. Can- they still have it. I'm on Cooperage's website as of Tuesday afternoon at 4.12 p.m. They, you, should get they, you can get Candlestick Chronicles. Why don't you read off some of the other beer that's available, Chris? So I don't say one that they don't. Friday, have. Friday the thirteenth. Shout out to Kurt, hold, um, dude. Uh, like, hold up the 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 Kurt puns on the beers. Every time I'm like, okay, they're gonna run out. Friday the thirteenth comes out. I mean, come on. They have El Cooper Cabra, a Mexican lager brewed with maize. It's very good. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. No, they um. They do a really good job. I I personally think that their design, like the the art they have on their beer, is the best anywhere. I agree. If um, you're into beer art, grab some cans. Right. If if you want to like, if you want to look cool while drinking good beer, like Cooperage also helps in that department. Yeah. By by virtue of just the art and um, even even me, my neighbors are like, oh hey Kyle, when I'm drinking a Cooperage out front. Right. They're like, wow, he looks so cool. They're like, wow, I've never noticed him before. All right. Speaking of cool, let's get to Matt Mayoko. <laughs> Blue wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Matt Mayoko's here. 
NBC Sports Bear. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't know who Matt is, um, pause and go do some reading. I'll that sounds that. fair. Just, just turn it, it off. Yeah. Just yeah, <laughs> turn it off on. podcast. Go listen yeah. to that one. No. Yeah. Um, Matt, thanks. Go on to move on to 49ers talk. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, Frank Clark's suspension. Your thoughts? Oh, boy. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, man? I'm, I'm doing great. How That's are you guys fun. doing? Fantastic. Really good. good. All right. Good. Really good. We're all wearing it's... hats, I see. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I'm, we're get, all... I'm bald. So I have an excuse. Yeah, I'm three quarters of the way there. <laughs> I used to have a forehead. Now I have a five head. Yeah. Oh, nice. Good one. I was working on six we've, and we've my wife mi- was like, it's got to go. It's like, all right. We, we've missed Matt's humor on the pod. So it was really important for us to to, to get that back on here. Um, Maddie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the 49ers lost to the Kansas City Chiefs 44 to 23. Breaking news. Breaking news. They fell to three and four on the season. Um, My big takeaway from that game was that it was kind of the most, not kind of it to me, it was the most alarming loss of the season in the sense that like they had a lot of their guys back. The chiefs are a team that the 49ers sort of measure themselves against. It was a home game. You didn't have sort of the weird factors from the other losses where, you know, Chicago, there was monsoon Denver, Jimmy Garoppolo had just been practicing for a week um atlanta maybe there you know the injuries and obviously the the residual effects of of the long trip with their stay in the east coast so this one to me i think was the most alarming loss of their four they've had so far um do you agree with that and and what was your big takeaway like big picture wise about what sunday's loss to the chiefs said about this 49ers team yeah i mean i think that with the 49ers they've always i don't know always but they they seem to like play to a degree to their level of competition and so they tend, you know generally i think play pretty well against good teams and that game on sunday yes it was a five-point game early in the fourth quarter and after the first score that touchdown it's like okay man this is gonna be a really entertaining fourth quarter it's gonna be back and forth well it was it was back and then it <laughs> back 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 um I think you know the, the Chiefs scored six touchdowns on seven possessions after that first drive interception. And the one touchdown they didn't score during that span, they probably would have scored a touchdown if not for the half running out and, and they actually missed a field goal. So the thing that I have tried to sort out is are the 49ers, is the 49ers defense really that good? And they were really good in those first six games of the season, but they played some really bad offenses. Now, what is the 49ers defense? I don't even know what the 49ers defense is anymore because Emmanuel Mosley's out for the season. Armstead hasn't been available. Ken Law, probably not counting on him to play again this year. And then Ward was, Charverius Ward was banged up and he didn't look good. Nobody looked good on that defense. And Bosa was... You know, they did some things to kind of counteract what, what he does well. So I'm I'm kind of confused right now what the 49ers defense is all about. And as bad, inconsistent, or whatever the word you want to use, as bad as the 49ers offense has been, I almost see that now as the place on a team that can get better and and should be improving. Whereas I'm not sure I feel that way about the 49ers defense because of those holes that we're talking about. And, and I mean, I really don't think it can be understated how big of a loss Emmanuel Mosley is mm. because they don't have anybody else who can step in. At one point I thought, oh, Jason Brett, if he's up to the level he played out in 2020 and the guy we saw in training camp 2021, they don't lose much there. Now, I'm when's this going to air? This is this we'll is going to air Wednesday. Yeah. So this is probably going to come out around we the time we find out what's going to go on with Jason Verrett. I'm not sure he's going to be available this season. I, I just don't sense there's a whole lot of optimism. Now they might yeah. activate him. They might, uh, you know, to the 53 man. Uh, heck, they, they, they could just keep him on PUP on, on Wednesday for the rest of the season. But even if they put him on the 53 man, 
I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be available at any point this season. So I just kind of get the sense that that recovery, that rehab, the PT isn't going like they had hoped it would. And I just don't think that there are a whole lot of answers there at that other cornerback spot with the Amador Lenore, Samuel Womack, Amory Thomas, whatever. So um, they're, they're kind of in a tough spot and a, a team like Kansas city can thoroughly expose all of the issues or any issues the 49ers have in their defensive backfield. So that's kind of the, the question I had was, was a, do you think they can get back to what they looked like in the first five, six weeks, whatever, whatever timeline you want to use. And then second, how much of, how much of them being exposed was just Kansas city's personnel and how much of it was, Oh, Kansas city exposed, exposed like fundamental flaws in this defense that we're going to see the Rams exploit. And then we're going to see the chargers exploit and so on and so forth. Well, I guess the, the good news for the 49ers is there aren't many offenses in the NFL like Kansas city. <laughs> right. And, and may, you know, I, I haven't seen the Eagles play that much, but obviously they're doing a lot of really good things. But, you know, I think of the Chiefs and I think of Buffalo. You know, those are the two offenses that can make you look bad. And the one one of the things other than what I talked about with the defensive backfield, the one thing that I, I was kind of skeptical about with the 49ers defensive front, as good as that defensive line is, it's Nick Bosa as a superstar. And then if, if everybody's healthy, it's Nick Bosa as a superstar. It's a few steps below. It's Eric Armstead. And then there's a huge drop off to the next guys on the team. Where the 49ers have been successful is that that whole group is a group of about eight guys. And so they're constantly rotating guys in. And so, you know, player eight is as good as player three. And so it's kind of that strength in numbers thing mm -hmm. where there's just no drop off, but there's no like, you know, other than Bosa, there's no guy that we can even begin to talk about as a Pro Bowl player. So that's where I always thought like, yeah, the 49ers aren't as strong as they were in 2019 because that team had Bosa. It had Armstead playing at a Pro Bowl level. It had DeForest Buckner playing at a Pro Bowl level. And when D Ford was healthy, he's a, he was a pretty good player. Really good. Yeah. He was pretty good. Even that year, you know, he he got, I don't know how many games he played in, not many, but he still got a fair number of sacks. Like he whatever he got in 2019 will probably be you know, the, the number that the, the 49ers number two sack guy this season gets, you know, in 17 games. Right. So that team had like explosive firepower defensive linemen. This one has one outstanding player who, if he stays healthy, will probably be in the conversation for NFL defensive player of the year. But beyond that, there's, you know, it's just guys who are above average players and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think, with Mosley being out, that kind of limits the effectiveness of that that rotation, that just wave after wave of wave of defensive linemen that the 49ers are able to, to shuttle out there. So that's why I think it was really premature when people started talking about just how great the 49ers mm -hmm. defense was. Because yes, I think they're good. They're, I think they the 49ers can win a championship with their defense, but they weren't like all-time next-level defense. And now, now I, as I said, I don't even know what the defense is anymore because I don't know who's going to be coming back and, and what they're going to do in that defensive backfield. And I, I tell you what, both awards, I thought, on Sunday against Kansas City did not look good. You know, Jimmy, Jimmy, we, I think fans have taken him for granted. He's a really good player. Well, he didn't look that way, and he probably shouldn't because he's barely even played. And then Charvarius Ward coming off that groin injury, he looked like he was running in quicksand against, you know, some not really explosive Kansas City Chiefs receivers. So we'll see. I, I think the, the Rams are good. They're not Kansas City good, though. So th this is an opportunity for that 49ers defense to bounce back and maybe assert their themselves a little bit and and be a reason that uh, they can remain competitive and perhaps even win this game in, at SoFi Stadium. So I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about the Christian McCaffrey trade because 
Um, it, it's fascinating from a bunch of different angles, particularly in regards to Kyle Shanahan and just sort of these competing ideas that, you know, the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan and the Shanahan family and Bobby Turner have been really good at finding hidden gems at running back and, and creating productive running games with little known personnel. And now they make a big splash trade to go get a running back. Um, part of me is like Kyle Shanahan is, is, is of the mind like i'll think about those picks like next year you know is like the those picks in next spring aren't helping us win a super bowl now like i'm more concerned with trying to compete now versus and we'll figure that other stuff out later but you hear him talk about it and you know he and he's mentioned it various places there's like the story of him like how shopping with his wife and he's always pointing out what's wrong and um sort of like a negative nancy and always finding a reason not to do things and he sort of hinted at that him having a similar approach to making this trade, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. What what do you make of of just Shanahan's philosophy and, and sort of all these different competing ideas when it comes to um, running back valuation and and all that stuff? And and do you think he's like Christian McCaffrey is going to play as much running back? as maybe, you know, a traditional running back would, or do you think there are plans to like turn him into like a Cooper cup, Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell sort of hybrid, like guy who can do a little bit of everything. I, my thought would be that. Yes. They've, I mean, going back to Mike Shanahan, they they found the Broncos, Kyle Shanahan, they've found, you know, Bobby Turner, part of that mix too. They found these running backs where they didn't have to invest much in them, right? I mean, they're either late round picks or undrafted free agents, and they managed to fit the system very well. And we're talking about the running game. I think the reason that they were so intrigued by Christian McCaffrey had very little to do with the running game and more to do with the matchup capabilities that he provides him especially like in two minute drills. And of course he wasn't up to speed on four hours, two minute drill, but you know, we haven't seen them do much hurry up, but as I see it, Christian McCaffrey enables them to do a lot of different things with the same personnel groupings. So, you know, you can, you can have Kyle use check when he's healthy. You can have Kyle use check and Christian McCaffrey out there and teams are going to match up in probably base personnel. Well, if you know huddle, you get to the line of scrimmage quickly and the team can't, the defense can't substitute. Now you have Christian McCaffrey in the slot and now the, the defense is ill-prepared to go up against basically 11 personnel with three wide receivers. And so I think where, I think where we're not really thinking this through or maybe where the 49ers thought this through as far as $12 million for a running back next year, the year after that, and the year after that is maybe don't think of Christian McCaffrey as a running back. Think of him maybe as a guy that is more of a slot receiver, like you said. And what what have the 49ers kind of been lacking, I think? Yeah, they have a slot guy in, in Juwan Jennings, but he's not you know, he's not the the jitterbug. You know, I'm, I'm using the you know the the swivel action with my hand. Um, Nailed it. Thank you. Um, the closest guy they've had to that really has been. Uh, I can't even remember his name. Trent, Trent Taylor. <laughs> Trent Taylor. Yes, Trent Taylor. I was trying oh, to yeah. think. Of, I knew Taylor. I was trying to remember his first. Trent Taylor. That first <laughs> year, he put like he he's put good. some good numbers up. Like mm-hmm. if you look at his numbers from that year. His production was basically the same as George Kittle, that rookie year for both of those guys. Mm-hmm. Since then, they haven't had a slot guy. And so McCaffrey, to me, is multiple players in one. He's Don't think of him as a running back. Think of him as you know a matchup piece where he can play running back, and he'll get his, I don't know what the number is, 12, 15, 17 carries, but he'll also line up wide. Uh, you know, He could be in the slot. He can run patterns out of the backfield. So I think that that's probably the thought with him. And and what does a good slot receiver go for these days? I mean, that's that's not out of the realm of possibility, paying a good slot receiver $12 million. So, you know, maybe 
he's already had a lot of touches, a lot of hits in his NFL career, but maybe the second or third year of this contract, maybe he's not necessarily a running back. Maybe he is more of a, a slot guy and maybe they go with 11 personnel repeatedly with Elijah Mitchell as the back Christian McCaffrey is a slot guy. And then you have McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, all those guys can just kind of be interchangeable to a degree. Mm-hmm. So I think it really opens up, um, you know, I think Kyle Shanahan's, Shanahan's always looking to kind of do the next thing. And I get the sense that with so many teams running some variation of his offense, he's not catching teams by surprise or outwitting teams or um, out scheming teams, but maybe this is the next evolution in where he sees his offense going. Cooper so- cup makes uh, he's on a three year, $80 million deal. So that's a 26.7 million dollar average yearly. Um, so yeah, like if and that's so lame, Sorry. <laughs> if, uh, if you can get, if you can get that type of production, like, I don't know that we're ever going to get, you know, all pro Christian McCaffrey again, when he had a thousand rushing yards and a thousand receiving yards in the same season. No, but if you do turn him into a really versatile weapon, I think it does a couple things. It, it probably keeps him healthier than he would be if he's mm-hmm. just running through the tackles, given the 49ers inability to keep running backs healthy at, with any consistency. Um, and yeah, you know, do you I, have any theories on that, by the way, do you want to talk about that? I was going to ask you about that. Well, here's my theory. Okay. Is that, they do that that outside zone and they're running what makes the running back so good the guys who fit that scheme is that they have a head of steam they are full speed when they hit the line of scrimmage and they got a running start so it's not like a 5 yard start on a play between the tackles it's they're running they are moving and so you hit that hole and you blast for 12 yards. The other part of it though, is the collisions are that more, that much more violent. And a lot of times when you have the flow of the play going and a guy sticks his foot in the ground and heads upfield, you got a linebacker who's coming in at full speed too on a collision course. So you, you take the good with the bad, but that that's my theory is that maybe those guys, the, the collisions they have are more violent because the the running game is so dynamic that you're going to hit those big plays and the and the kind of the offset of that is that your running backs are probably more susceptible to injury. So there's that Makes too. Sense. There's that for sure, and I I totally agree with that. But I I also get the feeling that you know I I don't. I, I we've talked about this on other pods, but like, I don't want to be the fire, the training staff guy, but there also seems like under this regime with Ben Peterson running human performance, there have been a lot of cases and Matt, I'm sure you're well aware of this as somebody who's there every day. Like there have been a lot of cases where guys who are recovering from injuries in controlled environments have setbacks. And we can point to Jason Verrett, who you know recently had the setback in. Well, I thought we were talking specifically about running back. Well, yeah, but I, I j- I'm I'm going a little bit bigger picture here, like okay. because you know, so the the Niners are perpetually the most injured team in the league, and some of that I think is bad luck. Um, some of it is what you're talking about with just sort of like running backs in particular, those types of plays. But do you get the sense that anybody in the organization is like they're we we really have to figure something out here because whatever we're doing isn't working. All of the injury stuff aside, just like the rehabbing guys having setbacks. I know Daniel Brunskill had a setback in August. It's happened before. I think previous years, Mike McGlinchey had one. Um, there have just been a lot of scenarios where guys rehabbing or in practice have had setbacks. And I know it's football and everything, but I just don't know if the 49ers can look at the injury situations that they've had over these last few years and not consider making changes. Yeah. I mean, they have to look at it. I I know that, you know, there was, I did this 49ers overreactions thing uh, where fans, you know, sent sent in, you know, tweets or whatever. And and that was one of the questions last week about, you know, should the 49ers reevaluate 
how they handle injuries and their training staff and all that. And my answer was absolutely. They should, they should evaluate it or reevaluate. They should do it every season. They should look at best practices. What, what worked, what didn't work, why didn't it work? And I mean, I do think that it seems to me there's been, and again, I, maybe the research will see that, you know what, what the 49ers are doing, it's not any different than what's happening around the league. I think we are so close to the 49ers. We know about every, you know, every calf injury, every groin pole, everything. And then we're able to kind of follow it through and see how, how things materialize. But yeah, it does seem like there are, um, you know, I remember Dre Green last year, right? I think he came back a little bit too early from that groin. Um, I mean, it actually crossed my mind on Sunday watching the 49ers and the Chiefs. Like, what's Charvarius Ward doing out there? You know, is is he susceptible now to more of an injury uh, from the groin? Uh, he didn't look great. And I go back to the NFC Championship game. You know, after the fact, Trent Williams said, I shouldn't have been out there playing. Now, whose fault is that? Is it Trent Williams for insisting on playing? Or do, do the 49ers you know, whatever decision makers have to say, Hey, look, he can't move very well. Colton McKivitz is healthy. Who would you rather have Trent Williams at 75% or Colton McKivitz at a hundred percent. So those are the kinds of decisions that, you know, players aren't often honest with the training staff or the coaching staff when it comes to that kind of thing, because, you know, they, they want to play. So I, I, I guess I just don't know enough about, all the injuries, you know, everyone's different, but kind of going back to what I said, should the 49ers, should management look into it and kind of see where where they've gone wrong and, and what could be prevented or could any of that be prevented? The answer is absolutely. They should do that basically with every position in the organization every year. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can I go back to Christian McCaffrey? Can you do what? May I please go back to Christian McCaffrey, guys? Uh, hold on. Well, <laughs> it's okay. See. Not. I'm just you're, asking. You're, um, sure. Okay. It's the only question I had written down. So um, no, no. that was your question. Can you? The <laughs> yeah, no, that was yes, it. you met. Okay, okay perfect. Chris, Chris, do you have something else? <laughs> go, go for it, Kyle. Perfect. Uh, how much of how much of this move was for this season and trying to improve this season to win a Super Bowl? And how much of it was for the future and building out the offense under presumably Trey Lance? I, I would guess that they, well, to me, I, I think Christian, oh, well, first off, the game Sunday, it looked to me like Christian McCaffrey was open a lot when he was running patterns out of the backfield and the ball didn't go his way. Mm. So this is kind of like, this is going to um, be counter you know, or counterintuitive to what I 
I'm going to say now, I think Christian McCaffrey is a better fit with Jimmy Garoppolo because Garoppolo generally is more accurate on the underneath passes. He can hit guys in stride, get the ball out quickly, do all of that. But I do think if you look at it from the standpoint of $12 million for next season, what you're basically doing is you're getting Christian McCaffrey, who's on a minimum deal this year because the Panthers restructured that deal. You're getting Christian McCaffrey for, you know, what, one and a half seasons at 12 million, you know, 13 million, let's Mm -hmm. just say. So that's a pretty affordable, you know, from a price salary cap standpoint, that's pretty affordable. And they can lower that, that down, um, you know, next year by restructuring his deal. But I, I don't think this was a rental. They think that he can help them a lot this year because that window is open. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they theoretically, if they get their act together, they have the talent on this team to make a deep run, which right now, three and four, it's ridiculous to even say that, but that's the facts, right? I mean, which team in the NFC are you going, well, there's no way the 49ers can beat that team. I don't think there's a team like that in the NFC. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think. I mean, in the AFC, we could, you know, we could probably list them. <laughs> Kansas City. But, but Kansas City, for sure. <laughs> Buffalo. But in the NFC, it's basically, I think, in the NFC, the number, what, seven seed? Uh, it's the Rams. The number seven seed has as good a shot of going into the number one seeds house and winning. I, I think, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be just wide open in the NFC and in the AFC, they'll probably end up being uh, probably two teams, right? I mean, probably two teams. Where that you'd, you'd be surprised if either one of those two teams won't, you know, doesn't make it to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think they saw an opportunity where he's uh, McCaffrey's 26 years old. When, when Trey Lance is back as starter next year, like we all assume he will be, um, does he bring something to the team? Yes. And you know what? They, they got to make a decision here pretty quickly uh, at the end of the season on, on Brandon Ayuk, whether to give him the fifth-year option. So they might only have Brandon Ayuk for one more year. You don't, you don't know. And so how do you start looking at that offense, the playmakers, um, you know, Debo Samuel should be around for a while, but no, I think, I think McCaffrey is, I I don't think they would have made this deal right now unless they felt like they have a chance this year, but it's also made for the 2023 season as well. And then at that position, you just have to go year by year because you don't know how, when a guy falls off that position, how quickly he's going to fall off. And if he does fall off, do you want to make that move and put him you know, move him to a slot receiver like we talked about earlier. You mentioned the assumption that Trey Lance is going to be the starting quarterback next year. Um, and I'm with you, but we obviously saw the 49ers. I don't know if hedge is the right term. I think it was, you know, in, in terms of bringing Jimmy Garoppolo back, like they, they were hedging on Trey Lance. It's like, I, I think that's kind of a loaded word. Like, I think they they had enough trust in Trey Lance to be like, no, he's our starting quarterback. We're getting Jimmy because why not have a capable backup when it's available to us? Like the word hedge, I think, is is a little bit more loaded than that. Um, But it almost feels like they're going to have to hedge next year because there's now the element of his health and his ankle injury. And we don't know how he's going to respond to that. We don't have a full idea of of when he's going to be ready to participate um, in football stuff. So what's your expectation in terms of how the 49ers approach their quarterback position next off season? And do you think they will be content with a scenario like they were expecting this year where it's like, all right, 2023 rolls around. It's Trey Lance uh, starting quarterback and Brock Purdy is the backup. Or do you think there's a possibility of, them maybe making another move um, specifically somebody like the guy who's playing quarterback for Tampa Bay right now. Like how confident are you in the 49ers sort of maintaining that status quo with Trey Lance versus the potential of making another big splash deal as, um, as they think their Super Bowl window remains open. 
you're talking about getting a big name quarterback to be the starter. Well, if they get Tom Brady, I would think they would get him to start. Oh, okay. So, oh, that's the guy you're talking about, the the quarterback in Tampa. Yeah, not Blaine Gabbert okay. or Kyle yeah, Trask. I no, I I mean, I just man, I think that I think the Brady ship has sailed. You know, I okay. I just I can't. I mean, I guess never say never, but I would be thinking more along the lines of, you know, that they would have Brock Purdy. You know that you know that Brock Purdy and, and Trey Lance are going to be on their offseason roster. Then what do you want to do? Do you want to go get a veteran guy who's been a starter in the past, who will compete with Purdy for the backup jobs? It's going to have to be someone kind of low cost. Um, I, I'm just now I'm just spitballing, but you know, obviously the the Colts, you know, with the move that they made this week. It certainly doesn't seem like Matt Ryan is going to be around there beyond this season. So is that somebody that, hey, Matt, sign a, you know, sign a one-year deal, uh, not much guaranteed money, or maybe he he'll just want to retire. But let's just let's just say Matt Ryan, you want to bring somebody like that in as the the, the insurance policy, but maybe Brock Purdy beats him out in training camp, and the next thing you know is you know they're cutting they're cutting a veteran guy. Um, I, I think Brock Purdy is is okay. Um, I never really bought this whole Brock Purdy hype. I mean, I I saw him. I just don't know that he has the arm strength at this point. You know, he to me the the best comp for him is still um, Nick Mullins. Mullins. Nick Mullins. I mean, even even in train in uh in the preseason, you know, he was throwing these passes down the field and they just are in the air for a long time. And because it's preseason and it's going up against guys who aren't going to be making their respective teams, you know, passes were completed, but you saw him just floated up there on Sunday against NFL caliber players and it gets picked off in the end zone. So, you know, he's going to have to increase his arm strength, which is something that can be done. But I mean, I I just think that I, I think that, the the ers are totally they have to be totally invested in Trey Lance and you know the Shanahan will ha- still have every opportunity to develop Trey Lance as the starter the, the unfortunate thing for Lance and the 49ers is that it's going to be year 3 before they have that opportunity to see what he can do and at the end of year three, you have to make a decision whether you, you know, give them the fifth year, the fully guaranteed fifth year option or not, which isn't, I guess, you know, maybe in the big picture, not that big of a deal, but you know, he's still a really young guy, but we just, we don't know. We simply don't know what he's capable of because even this year, the one game, kind of throw that one out because that was just kind of a weird you know, a weird game week one against Chicago, but no, it has to be Trey Lance. They they invested so much in him. It was a franchise changing franchise rocking move that they made to go up and get him. Now they got to, at some point you got to figure out what you have. And they, they haven't been able to figure that out as of yet, other than they like everything about him without ever really seeing him play regular season football. You know, he's got a good head on his shoulders. He puts in the work. He gets along with teammates. You know, he's a good teammate. All the all the stuff that you want in a quarterback, except for we don't know if he can play the game at this level, which is kind of a big thing, I think, uh, you know, when you're talking about a quarterback. Yeah. Sure. Um, do you think that, just to stick on Trey Lance for a minute, um, do you think that, that when he is back, there will be any alterations to the way he's used or yeah. I don't think so running him at that, at that rate, you know, look at, I mean, look at teams around the league. I mean, mm-hmm. this wasn't unique to the 49ers. I mean, it, the quarterbacks now in this league, there are designed runs for them and there was nothing unique or crazy about the ask on that particular play in which he got hurt. It was a freak. I don't. I, I need to watch it again. But it was almost like 
he started to slide was kind of in between, you know, his, his leg got caught underneath him in kind of an awkward fashion, but Hey, part of the reason they like him, part of the reason they evaluate him so highly was because he brings another element to the team. I mean, I remember in 2020, the 49ers, when they played Buffalo, it was in Arizona and you know Josh Allen just ran all over him, just did everything, just crushed him. And I remember, you know, yours truly and, and many others, I'm sure wrote, you know, that, that Kyle Shanahan has seen the light, you know, that's the kind of quarterback that, that he wants somebody who can make the coaching staff look good and can cover up for mistakes or bad plays by ability to run, you know, that whole 11 on 11 football. And so that's why the 49ers felt like they needed to get somebody like that. And Jimmy Garoppolo is not a second reaction quarterback. Um, you know, he doesn't keep plays alive. He, he's, you know, very limited in today's game as far as what he can do. That's why they got Trey Lance. And so I see quarterbacks all the time running, you know, designed runs and they don't get hurt, you know, or at least that's a, a price that teams are willing to pay as far as putting them in that, those situations. And at the end of the day, it's probably just as, common if if not more common for a pocket quarterback to get injured in the pocket than it is for a quote-unquote running quarterback to get injured running so i'd push back on that a little bit because I, I agree with you like there are certainly quarterbacks who are asked to do running plays um and that's not particularly unique but i just thought the volume like you know colin kaepernick was running like six times a game when he was running a lot in, in 2012 and 2013, Trey Lance, you know, his very first start, he had 16. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but the thing that really s- stands out to me about the whole conversation is that like Trey Lance slid for the first time in that preseason game against the Packers. Yeah. And I tried to watch every single Trey Lance clip I could, and I never saw him slide at North Dakota state. Nope. Yeah. And he, and, and he obviously talked about the difference between, you know, the FCS players he was going against and NFL guys and that he wasn't, you know, Trey Lance was bigger and faster and stronger than a lot of the guys he was going against, even like linebackers and safeties Mm -hmm. um, in college. And that's just not really the case anymore. And so that was an adjustment. And I just thought when you're asking a guy to carry it 10 or 15 times a game, like Kyle Shanahan was given that he didn't have the experience of being able to protect himself that you were asking for problems. And that's ultimately what happened. And like, I remember watching Jalen hurts. It was either the first or second week of the season. There was a play where he rolled out and started to run and then just hit the deck because he saw a defender coming from his left and coming from his right. And he did a really good job at just avoiding a big hit. Mm -hmm. Right. And you see it with Kyler Murray. You see it with Lamar. You see it with Josh Allen to a certain extent, like these guys know how to run the ball, but also have a really good understanding of how to protect themselves. And I guess Kyle Shanahan asking Trey Lance to run as much as he did is sort of being like, all right, well, you're going to have to learn how to protect yourself like trial by fire, which I get to a certain extent. But now it's like, man, you know, you have all these weapons. Was it really that important to run Trey Lance that much? And like, I'm not, I'm not blaming Kyle Shanahan on the injury, but for me, if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I'm like the most important thing I have to do aside from win a Super Bowl is develop this guy. And I just thought he was, he was put in a really tough spot being asked to run that much, given that he hadn't really shown any ability to protect himself in those moments. I I think, but I don't know all those other quarterbacks you, you cited, you know, what were they like in college too? I mean, generally, generally quarterbacks in the NFL have always been, you know, the most athletic, the most gifted, uh, you know, the the best players on the field at every level they've played. So, you know, obviously Kyler Murray is not, you know, he's not a, a, a large man. So he probably in college, my guess is he probably did a lot of sliding. And well, he has also, a baseball background. He is a baseball player too. Yes. Yeah. So I think at some point you, you have to trust that even though 
he never slid in games that you have to slide in games. You know, you when you get to this level, you have to limit the hits. And on, but I still think on that particular play, that was just a a freak thing. I mean, if he got injured on the play at the goal line against Arizona, you know, we would all be going, I get it. Right. Cause well, he, he did, he did get hurt in that game. He did. We didn't yes. find out exactly which play, right. but I mean, that could, I mean, that was a major collision at the goal line where he put his head down, put his shoulder down and ran into a, a linebacker, right? He thought he was Go getting line. in the end zone there for sure. He thought he was, and it's a, it was <laughs> shocking. Actually, he didn't get into the end zone, but I, I think that that's you know the the mobility part of it, and maybe you know maybe he's not a great runner as it turns out. Um, he was a great runner at at North Dakota State, but that doesn't make him a great runner at the NFL level. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I but there, I agree with you said what you said as far as. He's got to, you know, his first two year, whatever year and a half in the NFL, or year and year in a game. Um, the emphasis should have been on the pocket passing, and then the other stuff, which should come more naturally. You know, that's where he he brings something that nobody, no other quarterback that they've had, other than Kaepernick, has. Is that well? I think the the feeling was that he could stand in the pocket, you know, do play action, do all the things in the pocket, go through progressions. And then also, and that, you know, better do that, all that stuff better than Kaepernick, but also have the running element. Uh, maybe not to the degree of Kaepernick because Kaepernick, once he got in the open field, he was a long strider and he mm-hmm. was difficult to, to bring down because he was so fast and so long um, and great buildup speed and all that. But I think the idea was to, you know, develop him as a passer, as a pocket presence, but also have that in your back pocket, the running part. Well, the the running part wasn't necessarily in the back pocket. It was very much in the front pocket. It was <laughs> really did a lot of that. Uh, no question about it. And I, I just thought that game against Arizona, it was more a function of where they felt he was in the offense and what gave them the best chance of winning that game as a rookie. And it wasn't for him to be a passer. It was for him to be a runner knowing that Garoppolo was going to be back soon and that Lance would be going back, you know, to, to backup duty and continuing to develop those skills behind the scenes. All right. So you do an overreactions piece that you talked about on Mondays at NBC sports.com slash barrier. I work in sports talk radio, which is like perpetually working in an overreactions column. Yeah. Um, the number one thing, the headline overreaction was how much of this three and four start is on Kyle Shanahan. What's your response to that? I I mean, the, they're three and four and this is a roster that's very good. So to me, it's Kyle Shanahan and the coaching staff. You're not putting it all on Shanahan, but I mean, he's the guy who put together the coaching staff too. Um, they're not maximizing what they got. And th- there's no reason this offense should be as bad as it is, even though the quarterback, you know, didn't go through the offseason program or training camp. So it's a matter of making these pieces fit. And I- I'm not saying that, you know, um, they can't snap out of it. I think now is an, a very important time because it's it's critical that with McCaffrey coming in, that you find ways to make that offense better. So, if if you had asked me before the season what would be the record after seven games, I don't think I would have said three and four. Maybe you know four and three at the very worst, I would think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whose responsibility is it? Well, there's a lot of talent, a lot of high price guys, a lot of high price guys at key positions, and so the 49ers should be better than three and four for as as much as that payroll has been. Uh, you know, as, as, as far as how the payroll is constructed. So right. who, who's, who else is there to blame, but the coaching staff not pushing the right buttons. And, and I've talked a lot about Shanahan and the offense, the offense should be better boy on Sunday, on Sunday, it was, you know, the defense too, because Andy Reed absolutely schooled the 49ers defensive side of the ball um, and made the 49ers defense look, I was going to say pedestrian, but worse than that. So 
yeah, I, I think it's up to the coaching staff to kind of figure things out and find the best ways to utilize these guys. And it's something that they haven't done up to this point. What do you make of the 49ers regular season dominance of the Rams and the fact that they've won seven straight? It, like, is there a common theme um, that really stands out to you? Because I, I think it's really interesting because particularly like in divisions where teams have been, you know, both played at high levels at various points, like a lot of these series are usually pretty split, but the Niners seven and zero against the Rams really stands out. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I would say up until this year, you know, they were just a physically more dominant team. And that kind of like they would set the tone early with their run game and their physicality up front on both sides of the ball. I didn't get the the sense in the game earlier this season that that was necessarily the case. So I I really don't know what to think about. I always kind of scoff though and talk about, you know, the Fairbanks dominance over the Rams. If there was one game, during those, you know, four years, four seasons that the Fairs really, well, I was going to, I shouldn't say that because they needed to win week 18 against the Rams last year. But the one game that, you know, if you're going to win one of eight games, the Rams picked the right win, the right game to win. Right. Um, but I don't know. I, I just think it's, I, it's, it's, it's tough to say. Because they should, they know each other very well. The coaching staffs know each other very well. I, yeah, I can't put my finger on it. There's so much in life, <laughs> just in the game of life, Chris. It's very <laughs> difficult to figure out, and that's one of them. Yeah, I can't even guarantee we're going to be around on Sunday to watch. So, wow, that's that's profound. Mm-hmm. Uh, can they can they dominate the Rams without Debo Samuel? I don't think they can. Without Debo Samuel, without uh, Kyle Juszczyk. Well, you know what? I just started watching the uh, Panthers week six game against the Rams. Mm. And this guy for the Panthers looked really good. Number 22. DJ Moore. Um, No, I think that might have been a a guy, McCaffrey, something like that. Classic humor. Never heard of him. Just full display. Yeah, never heard of him. (laughs) Um, No, I, I... can they beat the? I mean, anything can happen. We don't. I don't know if we're going to be alive on Sunday. <laughs> there was a big earthquake right. today. Great point. Fair enough. Yeah, I never felt that earthquake. By the Me way, neither. I didn't either. But I'm in Sacramento, so hope everybody's safe. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Um, if they're listening to this, they are. Um, <laughs> I hunkered down. He's day to day. Debo Samuel's day to day with a hamstring injury, so we'll see. But Hey, I mean, yeah, they can they can beat them, but it makes it a lot more difficult. And you know, Debo hasn't. I mean, he really hasn't been too much of a factor, you know, in too much this season, except against the Rams. <laughs> against the Rams, uh, Aaron Donald now knows his name. That's good, it's big time. Uh, yeah. So I, um, it, it's it makes it a lot difficult for sure, but. Yeah, I mean they can. How's that for an answer? It's really good. I agree. Really that's, good. That's quality podcasting there. Do it you? Is. So you Everybody you write that down. <laughs> you alluded to it earlier, and just sort of the openness of the NFC and the fact that I mean I'm I'm in agreement. Like if the 49ers had to go to Philadelphia in the playoffs, say they make the playoffs. If they had to go to Philadelphia to make the playoffs, I would still give them a really good chance in that game because of just the pedigree, the experience, the roster, all of those things, no matter what happens in the regular season. If they get there, I would like their chances. feel the same way about Minnesota, same way about the Giants, same way about the Cowboys, who they beat on the road in the playoffs last year, obviously. Green Bay and Tampa clearly aren't what they have been, but maybe that changes. I'm guessing you're still optimistic about the potential of of what the 49ers could be um you know in December and January uh relative to where they are right now where it seems like the sky is falling and um you know the season's over well i think that they well first off they haven't shown any degree of consistency 
And it's not just game to game. It's play to play, you know, possession to possession, quarter to quarter. I mean, they just haven't shown anything that is reason for optimism, to be honest with you. Fair. But also, I think that you look around the league and let's just stick with the NFC. I mean, which team out there does? I mean, you mentioned some teams in the all pretty much all in the NFC East and Minnesota. But are those teams, you know, I, th- I just think that in the the span of an NFL season, what you end up with isn't ever does it doesn't ever really resemble what you start with. And so the good news for the 49ers is that Armstead should be back soon, you know, probably second half of the season. Elijah Mitchell, um, Aziz Alshire. Uh, Jimmy Ward should be getting better and better. Um, you know, Trent Williams should be getting better. Mike McGlinchey, who did not have a good game, uh, will be getting healthier and better theoretically. Um, you know, Garoppolo should be getting better. So they have a lot of guys who should be getting better. And the only guys who, you know, we, we might not see, well, we know we won't see uh, Trey Lance or, uh, Mosley get back out there in the field this season. I kind of, I don't know. I, I don't think the Fournier should necessarily uh, believe or, or how should I say it? I, I'm not sure that Javon Kinlaw is going to give them anything. Probably anything he gives them this season would be kind of like found money. But the, this is a team that should be getting better with the pieces they have right now and guys coming back. And so I could see them gaining more, more stability, more consistency. And with McCaffrey being integrated into the offense, that side of the ball should be getting better. So long answer to your question is I still don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the 49ers do something similar to what they did last year, where they got hot. Um, you know, they, they got into the playoffs the last possible minute they got into the playoffs and then made a pretty good little run once they got there. And so I, I don't discount the possibility that they can do something similar this year. Are you optimistic about that? No, no, I would say that. I mean, I, I don't think there's any reason to be optimistic sure. um, just because they haven't shown it. Right. I right. mean, they haven't shown it. So until you, you it's all kind of, Based on last year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's for 49er fans, it's a leap of faith. You know, it's a leap of faith that, that Kyle Shanahan, the coaching staff, will figure it out. It's a leap of faith that they'll get healthy and remain healthy. It's a leap of faith that, um, you know, an area right now, that second cornerback position, which is very much uncertain, mm-hmm. will will continue or will we'll get better and, and become consistent. You know, what one area where um, – I know people like to criticize the offensive line and it wasn't great against Kansas city, but I think I saw something on PFF that Patrick Mahomes was actually under more pressure than, than Jimmy Garoppolo in that game. I actually think that the offensive line, when you look at the big picture in the NFL, I think offensive lines around the NFL generally are not very good. And I think every year in the college game, the amount of really good defensive linemen are double, triple, quadruple the amount of really good offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. So I think all things considered, I think the 49ers offensive line is down the list of reasons why they're three and four right now. I think it's up to the other guys, you know, the, the playmakers uh, to, to step it up and, and make plays. How's Eric Branch doing? Day to day, not good. Really? Good. No, I'm kidding. Hate to see Eric, Eric, yeah, you <laughs> really hate to see it. You expect <laughs> a guy at this stage in his career to get it right, but no, Eric. Eric Branch <laughs> is one of the. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Eric. He's uh, he finds stories and he can he can spin a yarn. He's he's uh, among the best in the business. Were there any good stories, Branch related, or anyone else on the beat 
um, from that you're willing to share from your trip to West Virginia? I don't know that I ever Atlanta. saw Branch outside of the work environment. You know, when he goes on those trips, he does, he does his own thing. Like he goes to college campuses, he goes to you know football games. He's he's kind of a quirky cat now, <laughs> where he likes to kind of you know <laughs> he he doesn't want people other people dictating where he goes, when he eats, what game he watches, whether what, he eats with utensils. Exactly. Yeah. So he. <laughs> Yeah, so I did. I didn't see much of him. I'm trying to think if uh, if there are any good stories. Um, well, in Atlanta, so I had this neighbor where I live. He lived uh, ho- uh, several houses up the street from me, and he was a magician, and he had this magic <laughs> no theater. No, I'm, I'm, I swear to you, he had this magic theater in Sarah. I look at Kyle's. Is, is your screen frozen? Or no, I am no. fascinated. Yes. So he had this magic theater in San Francisco and, and, uh, you know, a group of us went over and watched him and he's very, very good magician. And we belong to the, our kids belong to the same pool. So he had always been telling me, hey, I'm working on this, this trick and it's going to blow your mind. And then uh, a couple, you know, whatever he he lived up here. He lived next to me for like two or three years. And he said, "Hey, uh, some people came into the theater in San Francisco. They're business people from Atlanta, and they want to to bring me out there and open a theater in Atlanta." And so he did it. And I said, "Next time I'm in Atlanta, I'll look you up." And so I took a group to the Atlanta Magic Theater. His name's Peter Morrison. Look him up on YouTube. And we went to a magic show the Saturday night before the Falcons game. And as we're sitting, no, it was dinner, I think, after the magic show, Cam Inman has a piece of paper and a pen, and he's scribbling notes. And I'm basically like, what what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm trying to figure out the strangest things we've ever done on a road trip. (laughs) And, and And tonight is number one. (laughs) <laughs> is it well, now okay i have questions hang on yes pause. is this like siegfried and roy type magic or is this like there were, there were no live magic? animals in, were harmed in the production of that show okay so it's no, like it's, street uh, style like it, it's uh, uh close-up magic it's sleight of hand it's you know card tricks it's sure. uh you know stuff appearing out of nowhere um uh, he i, I I mean, I could, there's, yeah, it's, it was a lot of stuff and um, you kind of have to see it to, to appreciate it. Sure. Sure. There, there was, since this was Atlanta and we're talking about magic, I thought a magic city joke was coming. No, but- it wasn't. Yeah. And, but I think that that's when, when I said, and again, you might want to Google this to know what Chris is referring to, but when I, or not wrote- if you're at work. Yeah, true. When I broached the subject <laughs> with a couple browsing. of people like, hey, do you guys want to go see a magic show in Atlanta? It was like, <laughs> yeah, right. Aren't you, you know, aren't you, haven't you outgrown that kind of thing? I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, seriously, a real magic show. <laughs> you know, the wings of Magic City are great. <laughs> yeah. So here, here's one, like before the show, he'll go around and like meet people. And, and so he looks at Jennifer Lee Chan and he goes, I had a I had a dream you were going to be here tonight and that you were going to say, you know, a a particular card. What what card are you thinking right now? And she says Queen of Hearts and he pulls out a deck of cards and he he fans it out and the Queen of Hearts is is facing up in this deck of cards. And then he says, I was so sure you're going to say Queen of Hearts. And then he turns it over and all the backs of the cards were were blue and the the Queen of Hearts was red. And he said, I was so sure that I grabbed it out of another deck because that's I knew you're going to say that. And so something like that, I'm sure magicians out there listening to Candlestick Chronicles will know exactly how he did it. But for him to do that in in a span of like seven to 10 seconds, I was like, how the heck did that happen? I have no idea. And I, and I don't want to know because it was pretty cool. I'm freaking out. And I wasn't even there. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. I wish I could do that. Well, speaking of magic, um, Matt, 
You're going to make is me a, disappear. Is a, is a wizard when it comes to covering the 49ers. So oh, we very good. That. Very good. Yeah, that's why yeah. you've been we, working on that they one for call a while. Him, huh? They call him Magic Mayoko, actually. Yeah. yeah. That happens all the time. Um, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we appreciate you. Have you had any good beer lately? And and um, you're only allowed to mention anything from Cooperage. Uh, yes, I had Cooperage lately. <laughs> oh, awesome. nice. It's a yeah. very good beer. Yeah, very, you very know what? I, I think I've since you guys you guys are sponsored by Cooperage, are you? We are, yes. Yeah. Um, so I think you guys know this. I know Chris knows this, but at the beginning of COVID several years ago, or what was it? Either what year or we? three years ago. <laughs> it's like yeah. Two years ago. So me and my beer drinking buddies whose wives affectionately call us, maybe not so affectionately, I call us the idiot brothers. I came <laughs> up with nice. this idea. Yeah, thank you. We I came up with this idea that we'd have a beer club and we focus on West Coast IPAs. And so each round we deliver a four pack to the other three people. So I buy, you know, I buy four four packs, keep one for myself and deliver three to the other guys. And it has to be a beer that we hadn't had before or from a, from a brewery we'd never heard of or um, tasted. And so my, I think my very first selection was Cooperage Keg Slayer. And then at the end of each round, we vote on who had the best beer for that round or which beer was the best. We rank them and Cooperage Keg Slayer, was the the hands down winner by unanimous choice for round one of the Idiot Brothers Beer Club? It's incredible! That's congratulations. And we did, uh, full disclosure: we did not pay Mayoko to say that, and Cooper no, just not paid Mayoko to say that. That is just the check, the check is in the mail. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, we sent yeah. it. You're good. That is uh, entirely organic, natural advertising. Or I have a I have a confession to make. Actually, oh, really, piggybacking off that story at our at our first event at the Candlestick Chronicles live pod. I had like two Candlestick Chronicles and then drank Keg Slayer the rest of the night. Yeah. Yeah, it's really and good. Do you remember? Do you remember the uh, the night before? Um, do you no. remember that night? Nope, I don't. <laughs> a lot of Keg Slayer. And then I polished off a uh, like a stout at the end of the night. It was great. Nice. That was a great time. And you lived to tell about it. Barely. All right. Maddie, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. Um, we always appreciate having you on. And... Uh, yeah, it was good to see you on Sunday. So yeah, hopefully, it's been a while. yeah, it has been a while. It's been too long. Well, you have uh, a really difficult time saying goodbye, don't you, Chris? Yeah, yeah I, I do. Like I can I tell never you, to, especially like, we have not start, figured out a good this way. This is to starting end to podcast. get emotional. I think there's going to be like laughs, tears, right. making me think. Well, and I've just grown just, a lot under your mentorship. Yeah, let me just uh, let me. Just I've already done that one. Can I've I just end the awkwardness by going, Chris, Kyle, thanks for having me on Candlestick Chronicles. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.